If you have your Bibles, please open them to 1 John chapter 3, and we're going to start with verse 19. If you do not have your Bible, it's behind me on the screen. By this we shall know that we are of the truth, and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God, and whatever we ask, we receive from him, because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we should believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him, and by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. May God bless the reading of his word. So, chapter 3 of 1 John has been very focused on love um, and how this is the commandment that God has given us through Jesus Christ is that we should love, we should desire to love God and each other. Um, and with that love for God especially, that will come out in deeds of righteousness, as we'll see today. But it also, again, it, it's relational. It means that you and I are to love each other and you together to love each other in Christ. Because we are all in Christ if we believe in Jesus Christ. Um, and so it's with this that we go on to the verses. Verse 19. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. John continues forward by looking backward. Um, In the previous verse, that is verse 18, he encourages his readers against a deedless love. However, those who do love correctly will know and be reassured. What will they know? They will know that they are in the truth. In the previous section, there was a dichotomy placed between the children of the devil and the children of God. Those who were of the devil were not of the truth, and the evidence that they were not of the truth was in their belief in false doctrines, in unethical living, and loveless living. Therefore, those who do love have confidence in knowing that they are in the truth. Likewise, their hearts will be reassured before him. The reason why their hearts need to be reassured, and how they will be reassured, will be found in the next verse. For now, the reassurance is focused on God. The question we want to ask is, What does before him mean? It could be one of two things. The first is simply God himself, who observes all of our actions. The second could mean at Jesus' return, at the second coming, when he comes to judge the world. In this case, their hearts would be reassured before Christ, and not facing judgment because they belong to the truth. Ultimately, it probably reflects both of these in some capacity, since being reassured before one is to be reassured before the other. Also, it may reflect both in one focusing on the present, which is um, being reassured before God here and now, while also being reassured for the future. Verse 20, For whenever our hearts condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. We then come to the reason why our hearts need assurance and how they will be reassured. The first is found in our own condemnation. Because we own our hearts, we can be sure that we know ourselves. This knowledge of self-will causes us to condemn ourselves for our failures. In particular, our hearts will condemn us for our failure to love properly and follow the commandments of Christ. Yet despite the reality of our failures, we are also told a truth, which is that God is greater than our heart. 
There are two things to grasp from this. The first is the greatness of God. And there's little more that we can say other than that. God is simply great. He is all-powerful, boundless in all of his attributes. Along with that, he is greater than our heart. Though our hearts condemn, we know that God forgives. Um, There's a similar element in Romans when Paul says, For if... Because of one man's trespass, death reigned through, the, through that one man. Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and, free, uh, and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. God is greater to save than our hearts to condemn, and God is greater to save than even our sin is to cause death. The foundation for this is that God knows everything. When we go before God, he has complete knowledge of us. He can penetrate the deepest and darkest parts of our hearts. Despite knowing us as thoroughly and completely as he does, he still offers us forgiveness, grace, and peace for those who repent and place their faith in Jesus Christ. So those who are in the truth, though their hearts might condemn them for their faults, the God who knows them fully will forgive them fully. Verse 21, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. John focuses even more on the, beloved, or on the readers by calling them beloved. It is an expression used throughout the New Testament for believers. Ultimately, it may express the love John has for them, or it may express the love God has for them who are now in Christ. Now we have a conundrum, though. In the previous verse, John acknowledges the possibility of a heart which would condemn for what we likely can presume is sin. Now John recognizes a heart that does not condemn. So the question is, what's going on? Does the heart condemn or does it not condemn? The best way to understand this is to perceive it as a continuation. There comes moments in our lives when we fail God and each other. In those times, it is possible for us to fall into a defeatist attitude toward ourselves and the faith. Belief that we could not get better, that we cannot change, things like these. However, John prescribes for us the reality of God himself. He is mighty, and he is all-knowing. Knowing these things, we can know nothing is beyond God's ability to save. Therefore, once our hearts have come to acknowledge their forgiveness and love of God, they will no longer be able to condemn us. For though we know ourselves, we know God is greater Once this has been achieved in us, we can have confidence before God. It is not our own confidence, but the confidence in what God is able to do through what he has done and what he can achieve in and through us. It is in him our confidence rests, and because of this, we can have confidence before him. A good example of this is found in Hebrews when we read, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now verse 22. And whatever we ask, we receive from him, because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. This confidence does not sit still. 
Instead, it leads us forward to, as the Hebrews author says, it draws us near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. By having confidence before God, we can go to God with our requests and our petitions in this life. Now, we'll learn more of what this means later in chapter 5. For now, though, it reminds us of the confidence we are given which leads us to God. And it reflects Jesus, who was a man of prayer and who taught his disciples to pray in his name. All of this comes back to us to be able to go before God, who is our Father, now that we're in Christ. Yet we need to be reminded that this kind of prayer is not frivolous. It reflects on the reality that those who go to God in prayer, those who have confidence, live lives in congruence with his commandments. It is because they live these lives seeking to honor and glorify God by following his commandments that they can go to God. In this way, it is all cyclical. Our relation to Christ gives us the ability to live according to his commandments, and it gives us confidence. Christ is the foundation by which all the rest is built upon. And as it was said previously, those who are in Christ have an advocate. And because of that, even when they do fall, they can go before God. Verse 23. And this is a commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he commanded us. John now focuses on the commandment which is dual in nature. The first is belief, or faith. We notice that it is not simply having belief in anything, but belief in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ. To have faith in the name of Jesus reflects personhood and identity. It is all of Jesus Christ in whom we are to have our faith. His life, his death, his resurrection, his teachings, his commandments. That is the first part of the commandment, to have faith in all of who Jesus claimed to be and all that he is. This will naturally lead to loving one another, which was a direct teaching from Jesus to his disciples. Not only is this the case, but it makes sense in light of the person of Jesus, who lived his life in love for the Father and for his disciples. When we consider these things, it makes sense that the commandment to love one another is tied so closely to the name of Jesus, who who both taught love and lived in love. Now verse 24. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. The end result is that those who keep these commandments of God abide in God and God abides in them. In this it reflects Jesus' own imagery of the vine and the branches which we've looked at before. But again, he is the vine and we are the branches. Good branches bear good fruit by keeping his commandments and in this way show that they abide in him as he abides in them. Since God abides in Jesus and Jesus abides in him, then those who abide in Christ also abide in God and God in them. This last half of the verse is interesting as it could mean one of two things. It could mean that we know he abides in us because we have the spirit abiding in us. The problem with this is is that it places the spirit higher than abiding in God and vice versa. It seems more likely that by this does not look forward but looks back on keeping commandments. When we keep his commandments, we abide in God and God abides in us. This spirit then gives us knowledge that we truly abide in God and he in us. As Yarbrough says, believers know by the spirit that God or Christ gives them that they abide in Christ and Christ in them as they keep the commandments to trust and love. Now, 
The main point for this section is to give us greater assurance. Upon having assurance in our hearts, we can have assurance in our confidence before God, which leads to assurance of our faith, and ultimately the assurance of our abiding in Him and Him in us. In all of this, our assurance does not come from ourselves or our own abilities, but comes from Christ, in whom we place our faith, which leads us to obey His commandments. Now this leads to our application points, knowledge and truth. In today's text, the whole section um, is bracketed by knowledge. If we remember, verse 19 starts with knowing how we are in the truth. And then verse 24 ends with knowing that he abides in us. From this, we can recognize that knowledge is an important point John wants to establish with his readers. In our current era, there are those who would claim knowledge is something rather unknowable. There are those who would tell us that it is literally impossible to know anything. Others would tell us that what we know is actually just an illusion. Meanwhile, others argue that truth itself is only relative. With so many attacking knowledge and truth, how can we know and how can we know the truth? In some ways, one can wonder if this is a similar problem the congregations John is writing to were having. There were individuals who left the congregation and started um, claiming that they had knowledge and that they had the truth. What were those within the congregation to believe? Who were they supposed to believe? Do they believe those who first proclaimed the gospel or those who have left the congregation and teach different doctrines and practice a different lifestyle in opposition to the lifestyles reflected through the gospel? John has written much of this letter in order to educate, and another way to put it, in order to give knowledge to those who would be deceived by those who have left the congregation. John gives knowledge and truth such importance because the gospel itself is knowledge and truth. Jesus taught and thereby spread knowledge, and there is truth found in what he taught, and in his life, death, and resurrection. The apostles obediently followed in teaching the truth of what Jesus taught and proclaimed his life, death, and resurrection. I think that this is very relevant to us in two ways. The first is in our need of knowledge and truth, just as those in these congregations were in need of it. We, too, have these different doctrines and lifestyles being presented to us, calling us to follow them rather than Jesus Christ. The question is, Which do we follow? Do we follow the call of the gospel of Christ as presented in the scriptures, or do we follow a different teaching? Now the second way that this is relevant to us is when we consider knowledge itself. Since the time of the Second Great Awakening, Christian historians and theologians have recognized that the American church has tended to minimize knowledge and knowing and emphasize feeling and experience. We have separated in our minds from our emotions, our bodies from our souls, so to speak, and in doing so have incorrectly placed more importance on one rather than the other. Yet this is not, this is not only what Christ came for. He did not only come to redeem us from the end result of sin, which is judgment, but to redeem all of us. He redeems us from all of sin, which has tainted all of us. Whether it is our lifestyles, our thought patterns, anything and everything that includes I myself. Sin has come into contact with all of these things. And Christ, 
the destroyer of sin, has come and defeated both sin and the devil, which has brought so much corruption. Therefore, it is our responsibility to not forget this, that knowledge is just as important as our experience, that we should be those who seek knowledge in light of Jesus Christ and understanding in light of being children of God through Christ. Our minds are not to go to waste, but at the same time, we need to be careful. Many dislike knowledge because those who have knowledge tend to be puffed up. And it is true that such Gnostic arrogance only corrupts knowledge rather than promotes it. Still, it's with all of this that we still reflect on the important point, and that is what we know. Our knowledge is important. It is important not only to know, but to know truth. How can we be sure of our knowledge? How can we be sure that we are in the truth? John gives us the answer by giving us a firm foundation on Jesus Christ. We can know because we abide in him, and he abides in us, and the Spirit gives us knowledge that this is so. I think in all of this, the Apostle Paul says it best in Ephesians. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of your minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and incorrupt incorrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. And Paul continues, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he might have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. As we can see in this, we are not to be darkened in our understanding. Instead, we are to learn and know Christ, to hear about him and be taught in him and his truth. For our minds are to be renewed. This is just as important for Paul as it is to put on the new selves, which is to live a lifestyle different from sin. In order for us to be able to even put on new selves, to live in righteousness and repentance, rather than sin, we need knowledge to do so. And that knowledge comes and is Jesus Christ. Likewise, it is a reminder that though knowledge is important, where that knowledge leads is just as important. For this knowledge... The knowledge of Jesus will lead to living in holiness, righteousness, and love. As we continue to live, be encouraged to seek to know more. Know more about God. 
Know more about him by studying the scriptures and by considering the beauty and majesty of creation which he has made, which glorifies him. Knowledge is necessary for us. For it is through the knowledge given to us by God himself we can know the truth. And that is that God abides in us and we in him. If we place our faith in the name of Jesus Christ and remain obedient to his commandments. So have faith and remain obedient to our Father in heaven, his Son Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. Now this leads us to our second one, which is commandments. Oftentimes there are two groups in Christianity. The first group is antinomian. The antinomian is to be anti-against namos law. In this, these individuals are so focused on faith that they neglect the significance of living a Christian lifestyle in holiness, godliness, and giving ourselves over to Christ in full. Opposite of this is the second group, which would be coined legalists. These individuals are those who would have us justified by our actions rather than our faith in Christ. It is about living righteously that one will be declared righteous. Ultimately, both of these views fall short of what the scriptures teach us about the gospel and its effects on our lives. The reality is, Jesus, as did the apostles, informed us that it would be by faith we would find salvation. There is no getting around the very important doctrine of sola fide, by faith we are justified, by faith we are saved. It is what separates us from every other religion and worldview, the recognition that there is nothing we can do or add to our salvation, and that it all comes from our faith in Christ the Righteous One. Now some will say, or some will come to the conclusion, that this automatically leads to antinomianism. And the truth is, if we left it at that, then it would be antinomian in nature. Yet the scriptures do not leave it there. They also inform us that, as John has repeated, fo- um, focused on and repeatedly said, that if one is saved, then one will live in a lifestyle which provides evidence that one is saved. So how do we reconcile these two different perspectives? How do we reconcile the reality that we are saved by grace through faith in Christ, while at the same time recognizing a change in heart, mind, body, of lifestyle as a whole? Can there be a reconciliation between the two? Is it even possible? The answer to this is yes, it is possible. Otherwise, the teachings would be very little. And thankfully for us, we do not need to speculate. We can know the reconciliation because the scriptures themselves reconcile it for us. Consider what we read in John 14. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. As we see, love is the main motivation for us living according to the commandments of Jesus. It is our love for Jesus which causes us to live according to his word. It is not that we are justified by following his commandments, but that the evidence that we love him is following his commandments. And in this way, we can recognize our salvation, not because the deeds themselves make us righteous, but because we love Christ and the desire to be obedient to him in life, that itself is evidence for us. Another place to consider this is Romans. For the first three chapters of Romans, Paul lets no man stand before the righteousness of God, not a single person. The next two chapters... Focus on the necessity of faith, and that it is by faith we are saved. 
Paul then asks and answers the question, does this mean that we can live however we want? Paul's answer is no. And at the end of chapter 6, he concludes, What then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you were once presented your your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Paul continues, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the things, for the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. In these verses, we see that our lifestyles to live in righteousness does not mean that we are declared righteous through those deeds. Instead, Paul recognizes that we were once slaves of sin, unable to do anything but sin. Those who are in Christ, however, are now able to present themselves as slaves to righteousness, and in this way they are sanctified. Yet this is not by our own power. Instead, our salvation first comes through God's grace, by faith, as Paul has said in the previous chapters. But that salvation will lead us into a specific direction, which is to live in righteousness, which is our sanctification, being made new. It is in this way we can then understand that this dichotomy between works and faith is not as dichotomous as it appears. Those who live according to Christ's commandments show their love by living according to his commandments. We can only keep his commandments if we are first brought to salvation by the power of God, God's grace through faith in Jesus. Ultimately, the commandments of Jesus are necessary to follow. It is not as though we are given the option to follow Jesus' commandments or not. Our only option if we are in Christ is to follow his commandments. It is not that we follow them in order to gain righteousness. And I'm going to keep on repeating this point. (laughs) Righteousness is already ours. Through Jesus Christ. Instead it is our desire to follow his commandments because he loved us. And because of his great love we can now love him and follow him. Beloved, love is the key which unlocks our lives to be able to live for the glory of God. It is love for God, for his glory, which will cause in us a change in direction through repentance. By knowing ourselves, our sin, and knowing what God has done through his Son, Jesus Christ, it causes within us a desire to live for him. So in this way, we are saved by grace through faith, and at the same time, we are called to follow in obedience to his commandments in love. All right, we come to our third point, which I admit was the last point written, and it was well after everything else. I was actually on the PowerPoint. I'm like, I need to write this. 
As a quick point, there is something to be said about that middle statement made by John concerning our hearts. How many of you have ever felt simply tired of messing up? How many of you have thought, ugh, I've messed it up again? Or thought to yourself, I am the worst. I can't even get this one thing right for God. I know that I have felt that way personally. I know that my own heart has condemned me plenty of times in the past, and it will certainly condemn me plenty of times in the future. Unfortunately for us all, we all have enemies right within our own flesh. It's one thing to battle enemies from without, whether it be the world or the devil, but it's quite another when you are your own worst enemy. It's with this that I encourage all of you who have had very heavy hearts over your sin. I know the feeling. It is not an easy time to go to the Lord when you have struggled against sin and failed. I know that it is not easy to go to the Lord in prayer when we feel so miserable about our failings. Who doesn't want to be better than we currently are? Who doesn't want to say no to sin every single time? Still, there is something to learn from John for those who do struggle. That is, God's forgiveness is greater than our hearts. It is true that our hearts know every dirty deed, but so does God our Father. He knows every single mess up. He knows every time you have failed. In fact, He knows the mess ups your heart doesn't even want to tell you about. Yet, He still sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for His glory and for our salvation. Our, ha- our hearts often are like the devil. The devil can and will get us by making us focus on one sin, one downfall, one battle loss, and make it appear like that's all that we are. He will paint us as though that darkness is all that we are. The same is with our hearts at times. Our hearts will condemn us if in that one sin and makes us analyze and focus on it so greatly that we forget the salvation which is given to us by grace through faith. Yet this is not all that we are. If we were to take a step back and look at all of our lives, we would recognize we are not only this moment of messing up or that moment of messing up. Instead, we are children of God if we have faith in Jesus Christ. And if we are in Christ, we will will love him and his commandments, and that is leading us somewhere. Though we may stumble... We still have an advocate in Jesus Christ, and he will continue to lift us up every single time we fall. So be encouraged by this. Be encouraged to go to the Father and to seek repentance and forgiveness. Meanwhile, remembering God knows you already. He knows your mess-ups before you even know that they're going to happen, and yet he loves you. Do not ever justify your sin because of this. Instead, be encouraged to continue to let go of sin because of it. Because of this awesome love of God for us through his son, Jesus Christ, it is a glorious thing to consider that even though we, are, we have so many enemies, God is mightier than them all. He will see us through all of our trials and our failures, and we will know his glory if we are in Christ. So it's in this a call to be courageous and to know this hope and love that is found in Jesus Christ. For those who are or who have experienced sorrowful hearts, the gospel is for you. It is for people like us 
Having the knowledge of ourselves is not a bad thing, as it reminds us of the further knowledge we have in God who has saved us from our darkness and our sin. He has done it. He has saved us from the pit. Our hearts can find comfort and peace because of what he has done. And it's this gospel which begins with our origins. God created all the cosmos by the power of his word. Last of all, he created humanity to bear his image. And in this, because God has knowledge, because he can be known, he has personhood, morality, and he shows hesed and love, we can as well. Likewise, it is here we find the reason for dignity, sanctity, and worth to human life. Yet like God, we are also able to choose. We could either follow God in obedience in life or follow sin and disobedience in death. We chose the latter and have continued to make that choice ever since. Because of this, our relationships with God, ourselves, each other, and the world are broken. And it's because of our sin we continue to accrue a greater moral guilt before our God every day. Not a feeling of guilt, but true guilt before a righteous God. God could have left us in this state, but instead he sent the crux of the gospel. He sent his light and his word into the darkness, and that was Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, who lived and rose again in time, space, history, and flesh. By his blood, we are cleansed for our sin. By his sacrifice, we have propitiation, so we no longer are under the wrath of God. And by him, we are made righteous before our God. Our relationships are being restored. And through his victory in life and over death, we can have victory in life and over death. And all that he calls us to do is two things. The first is repentance. We are to turn away from our sin and turn toward God. We are to live a lifestyle of bearing good fruit according to the word of God. We are to walk in step with the Spirit, walking as Jesus walked in love. We are to turn our love from our sins and toward God and each other. Likewise, we are to have faith in Christ. We must recognize our complete and total dependence upon the Son of God for our salvation. We must recognize our inability to attain the glory of God by our deeds, and that it is not what we do, but what Christ has done. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to the Scriptures alone, for the glory of God alone. If we remain in disobedience in these things, we will only experience condemnation. None can stand before God with only their own deeds in hand, for only Christ is completely righteous. While even our greatest deeds are as filthy rags, none can stand before God without the advocacy of Jesus Christ the righteous. Because of this, any who go before God apart from Christ go to judgment. Yet, if we are obedient to God in these things, we will find no condemnation. Instead, we will find the love of God reserved only for His Son, Jesus Christ, and it's given to you and to me. We find victory over sin in this life. We become co-heirs of an eternal kingdom where we will experience the peace of God forevermore and we will see God as he is. My encouragement to you is to let the truth abide in you. Abide in Christ as he abides in you. Know the love of God and in knowing his love, love him in return and follow his commandments in love. He is our father in heaven and he cares for each of us if we are in Christ. Whenever your heart, the devil, or the world comes after you, be reminded that God knows, and he still gave his son for us. In all of these things, it is Jesus who gives us our greatest assurances. For by him we are saved, 
and by him we live in righteousness, holiness, and love. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, and we thank you for the assurance that we have through him. For though our hearts may falter, and though the world may condemn us and accuse us, and though the devil definitely condemns and accuses us, we know that we have an advocate in Jesus Christ, and that gives our hearts courage to stand up and to shine bright as the sun for your glory. And so, Lord, let us never be caught off guard, but let us know ourselves so that we can know what you have done and praise you for what you have accomplished through your Son, Jesus Christ. And in his name we pray. Amen. Please rise as we sing.